This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hi, I'm Yusuf Dahl, and when I was 18, I was convicted of selling drugs. For the past three years, I've had difficulty finding housing because it is legal in the United States to discriminate against individuals that have a past drug distribution conviction on their record for life. It doesn't matter if it was a hard drug like heroin or a drug that's now legal or partially legal in many states across the country like marijuana. The Thurman Amendment was introduced to the Fair Housing Act in 1988 by segregationist Strom Thurman, and it's since been used to deny housing to all people. But because people of color are disproportionately jailed for drug charges, we are affected more. My goal is to overturn this amendment to start an end to housing discrimination that unfairly targets people of color. If you would like to join this movement, please visit ThurmanAmendment.org to learn more. A message from the Fable and Folly Network. Dirt, an audio drama, is a production of Studio 5705. Chapter 13. A growing crowd of people, who until moments ago worked for me, gather near the elevator staring at me with their mouths open, taking pictures or typing on their phones as I depart with the two investigators. The three of us then cross the street under the monorail and head towards the Belltown Police Precinct, only a few blocks from the office. I keep the costume on as we walk outside. As the excitement of the meeting wears off, I realize I haven't eaten since I left Wapato early in the morning. I ask if we can stop for a quick bite on the way. They say they're hungry too, after waiting at the office for so long. So, we decide to talk over a late lunch instead. Okay, this is my treat. I'm afraid we can't accept that. Oh, right. Hey, Sasha. Hey, Darius. How are you? I'm good. Another day on the job, you know. While waiting in line, yeah, I, I text with Mel. I'll uh, take my usual. She says she'll meet me with my stuff outside the office building when I'm done, so I can Uber home from there. Yeah, I'll take the same thing he did. I ask how the meeting okay. with Molecular is going, 13, and she says she isn't in the room, but she can hear a lot of clapping. She also thanks me for the things that I said about her. How do I look in this thing, by the way? You're giving off a bit of a Tom Hanks and Castaway vibe. The part where he's on the island, I mean. Hmm. Thanks. By the way, this being an official statement, we'll need to report everything, including your name and exact details of your involvement in the case. Yeah. It uh, won't take long to reach the press. Well, what's 15 more minutes of fame, right? So, how can I help? Well, 
We know your organization has the traffic footage and has been analyzing it too. Yeah. Have you seen it yourself? Not yet. I've been away from the office all week. Any particular reason why you've been away? Well, like I said back in that meeting, just personal reasons. Right. We were hoping you or your firm might have gotten some data from your video analysis that might help us identify the driver. But I guess, now that we know that you were the pedestrian who was almost hit, we'd also be interested to know what details about the incident you can provide. We know the make and model and color from the camera footage and eyewitnesses. We also know it was a male driver from people who heard the driver's voice. But we don't have the plates. Any chance you've been able to determine that? Or I guess, do you remember anything from the scene? Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a dude driving. I remember that part. But, to be honest, I didn't see the car. I was pretty lost in thought before it happened. And by the time I heard it, I was diving out of the way. And panicking, because I thought the costume came off. So, sorry. That's all I got. How about the driver? Same, unfortunately. I remember his voice, though. He told me that he had a green light. Yeah, most likely just trying to cast blame. That said, I guess now's a good time to remind you to always look both ways before crossing a street, even if you have a walk signal. Yeah, lesson learned. Any other details you can remember? No. I think that's it then. Oh. Okay. Would you be okay if we reached out to others at your company for video analysis? Unfortunately, it's not for me to decide anymore. You can ask them. Okay. Here are our cards. Call us if anything else comes to mind. Sure. There is one more thing. I'm not sure if your people caught this, but the footage did show what we believe to be a drone in each camera view. It seemed to be tracking you closely, even while you were in the crosswalk. Do you know any reason why someone might be flying a drone over you? I don't. Well, like she said, reach out if something jogs your memory. I will. Oh, before you go, could you tell me what kind of car it was that almost hit me? Sure. It was the same car I had back in high school. Man, I love that car. It was a Datsun 280Z. Mel meets me on the sidewalk outside the office, just as she promised. She has the detector and the bag containing the boxes and the broken drone. Before I step into the Uber that she called for me, she reaches out and gives me a hug. A rare affectionate gesture that belies her steel-clad cool facade. When I get home, after I shower and toss my clothes into the washing machine, as with the box from Wapato, 
I label and place the contents of the new boxes in my safe, and then label and leave the boxes themselves on the same shelf as the box from Wapato in my garage. I answer texts from Motorpool coworkers on my Motorpool smartphone. I type up my Motorpool resignation letter on my Motorpool laptop and send it to Angela and the Inner Six. My network access is likely to be turned off by IT at any moment. Angela will become the new owner of all the messages in my inbox, as well as anything I've saved on our servers. I assume that one day I'll mourn what happened today. The things will sink in, and I'll feel the full stomach drop plunge of my career, having careened right over the edge. For the moment, my story arc will be reduced to 90-second TV news spots, on repeat in building lobbies and airports. I'll be the punchline of talk show jokes. Podcast hosts will have their fun with it for a while. People who didn't know me before will know me now, but only this version of me. A man in a costume, stumbling away from an accident of his own making. I hope your search is going well. If things are getting hard for you, don't despair. Where there's ruin, there is also renewal. Let this place be an example. I also write down the word Lemminkainen on a separate sticky note. A quick Google search on my personal laptop is all I need to discover that Lemminkainen isn't just a word. Oh but a person. Lemminkainen is one of the heroes of the Kalevala, Finland's ancient national epic. I'm vaguely aware of the Kalevala, mostly that it's massive and written in verse. I have no idea where to start, so I opt for summaries and soundbites on Wikipedia and other websites, most of which describe Lemminkainen as young and handsome with long flowing hair from mythical times. He's a ladies' man, swashbuckling and brave and noble, with many magical protections. But he's also arrogant and reckless. In one particular passage of the Kalevala, Lemminkainen is killed by the only weapon he has no magical powers to ward off. His body is tossed into the Black River of Tuonela, a.k.a. the Finnish Underworld. Lemminkainen's mother is alerted to his death by a hairbrush that bleeds, and she goes in search of her son all throughout heaven and earth. She asks the trees, the path, and the moon for help, but none of them have the answer she seeks. Finally, she asks the sun, which is able to tell her her son's fate. Lemminkainen's mother then goes to a blacksmith and asks him to forge for her a giant copper rake. With rake in hand, she travels to the underworld and uses the rake to pull Lemminkainen's body parts out of the river, one by one. 
She then sews the parts back together, reassembling them into a complete body. In some versions of the Kalevala, Lemminkainen is fully restored to life. In others, he isn't. Gnarly. No wonder there are so many Finnish heavy metal bands. Oh, crap. It suddenly occurs to me that when my work network access gets shut down, my work cell phone service is likely to also. And my work phone could get wiped remotely. So I spend the next couple of hours keying in and installing all of the contacts and apps and other settings I want to keep from my work phone onto my personal phone. When I'm done, I send a core group of 50 or so friends, family, and close coworkers a text from my personal phone, letting them know they should reach out to me here from now on. At first, the replies are general, like, just updated it on my end. Good to hear from you. But soon, here we go. I start to get things like, just saw the news. And, our mailroom is hiring if you need a job. Ha ha. And, never pictured you in a beard before. So I know what happened is getting out. I spend another couple of hours carrying on text conversations that I knew I'd have to have, but that feel awkward nonetheless. Angela also calls me on my new phone during a break in the dinner party with Molecular, and we have a long chat about all kinds of things. She says the buyout meeting ended up going great, and that my unexpected and unorthodox entrance and exit actually provided the icebreaker they all needed to let their guard down and talk candidly. She tells me that IT needs my laptop and phone, but I can just give them to her if I want, over lunch downtown early next week, rather than heading back into the office. She leaves it up to me. In between receiving and answering more texts from more people, I turn my attention to my car, which, as far as I know, is still stranded on the side of the road in Cumberland with two flat tires. I call my insurance company and they arrange to send out a tow truck right away to have the car hauled to a tire store in Seattle in the university district, just a couple of miles from my house. It should be ready for me to pick up with repaired or replaced tires sometime tomorrow. Before I know it, it's dark outside. I consider doing a treadmill workout or going for a walk around the neighborhood before bed. But my brain and body are fried. I have a pizza delivered and eat it as I scroll through Twitter. There's an adage in the business world that Friday afternoons are the best time to send out press releases about negative news. <clears throat> Motorpool's PR firm managed a quick three-paragraph summary of my departure. And I can see copies of it being posted from various industry outlets and influencers that I follow. It makes no reference to the crosswalk incident. It simply cites a parting of ways in the context of the buyout and next phase of the motor pool and molecular partnership. But that doesn't stop many in-the-know commenters from having fun by adding additional context to the news and posting costume jaywalker jokes and memes. I look over and notice the coin master still on the floor next to the front door, where I left it when I got home. 
The broken drone is there too. I grab them both and take them into the garage and set them on shelves next to the four boxes. All right. I start to head back into the house. Oh, wait. But then I remember that the batteries in the coin master are dead. I find the double A's that Antonia gave me and replace the old ones while I'm thinking about it so I don't forget to do it later. Okay. Once the new ones are in, I turn on the detector and check everything to make sure it's still working. Now who? It's Kim, texting that she saw the news. She says she hopes I'm okay. I let her know that I'm home safe, but I'm toast, and I'll fill her in on stuff in the morning.
I listen long enough to realize that whatever it's doing, it's doing it in cycles. I open the recording app on my phone, and when the detector pauses between cycles, I hit record. Whoa. The more I listen, the more I understand. I think I know what this is. Somehow, even after the dream in the middle of the night, then discovering the coin master being weird in the garage, and still getting texts from friends and family into the wee hours, I managed to fall back to sleep and stay that way until sunrise. I also managed a treadmill workout first thing this morning, and after that, I made a peanut butter and kale smoothie for breakfast while watching the University of Washington rowing teams practice out beyond my dock, near the Montlake Cut. After a few days out on the road, it feels good to be back into a daily routine at home, even if that routine now doesn't involve thinking as much about work. Of course, I am thinking about work and what happened. And I did see on the Seattle Times homepage this morning a headline about an investigation into an unauthorized float plane landing in southeast King County. But I try my best not to watch the news or check social media. Instead, I sit at my desk and take stock of everything that's happened so far. Since receiving the letter in the mail three weeks ago, I found four boxes buried in the ground, each with notes and objects in them. The first box, from Wapato, contained a small key. The second box, from PL, contained an old nickel and a note with a capital letter R in it. The third box, from Maryhill, contained an old dime, and its note had a capital letter H. And then the fourth box, from Cumberland, contained an old quarter, and its note came with a capital letter A. R. H. A. Well, that's three of the letters in R.A. Hastings. According to the note from Wapato, plus the number of spots mentioned in the places I've been, I have three more boxes to find. But then, there's something after I find all the boxes, too. This is the start of finding things. From here, there are six before the last. I also know the answer to one of the clues toward the end of the letter. The one that reads the year your grandmother and I wed. It's 1943, which is also the code to the gate in Wapato, and, as I found out during my dumb argument with Antonia at Daisy's, it's the year that Ernesto entered the United States and settled in the Yakima Valley. And then, there's the tiny key from the box in Wapato. I have no idea what it's supposed to open, but I assume, or hope, it will become clearer as I go. 
I also woke up thinking about Lemminkainen and how interesting it is that Aimo would choose this moment in the search to introduce me to him, the hero who perished. Maybe Aimo knew or guessed back then that this search would exact some kind of toll. But how would he know that? How would he know what the stakes are that define my life today? How would he know I'd even be interested in searching at all? Or that all these boxes would remain unfound by random strangers after all these years? Or that I'd even be alive to do any of this? Or that any of this would work? Imo was either prescient, a good guesser, as a really good executor, or... Or... He's still... play coin master being weird. I turned my attention to the phone recording I made overnight in the garage. I count out the number of beats in each segment, then the number of segments in each cycle before the entire cycle starts over. It has the right pattern and it's definitely not Morse code. That'd be way too cliche anyway. Hello? This is Joseph. You must have my car. We sure do. Just want to let you know it'll be ready in about an hour, and you can pick it up any time after that. That's great to hear. Appreciate the speedy service. Sure. Just one quick thing. It looks like it was marked for towing by the county. It's possible they thought it was abandoned. Though I can't imagine anybody abandoning a car like this. <laughs> anyway, you'll see some orange writing on the window. Okay. Good thing your insurance people got to it first, or who knows what impound you'd be visiting to get it back. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, like I said, should be ready in an hour, and you can come get it anytime after. Okay, great. Thanks again. You bet. Bye. Hmm. If the county found the car and ran the plates... Then someone, somewhere, knows I was in Cumberland, with flat tires. And that someone might be smart enough to connect that I got a plane ride out of there. It's a text from Carl. It reads, First, all that UFO technology stuff. Now you're into dress-up, too. <laughs> hey, no judgment. Come to the show tonight. We'll be there. I have a ticket saved for you. And in case you want to stay undercover, I have it saved under the name Ralph. <laughs> Ralph. The message has no fewer than six exclamation points. Continue playing detector being weird. I'll deal with the FAA or EPA or FBI or whoever investigates rogue float plane landings if I have to. For now, though, I'm not going to worry about it, because for now, I'm acting on another hunch. I know from my years of working in digital media, and from my programming days back in college, that every letter, number, and symbol on a keyboard or touchscreen has an underlying eight-digit code that defines it, made of a combination of ones and zeros. In college, 
I had a t-shirt that had nine rows of such code stacked on top of each other that, for those who knew what it meant, spelled, I give hugs. As I listened to the recording, I count exactly eight beats of clicks and pulses grouped together in a series, some in the same order and some in a different order, followed by a brief pause before the next series of eight begins. I pencil them out, ones for the clicks, since each series starts with a click, and zeros for the pulses. I then Google the phrase binary to text. Right at the top of the search results is a link to a binary to text translator. I click on the link and on the web page I'm taken to, I type in the first eight digit series of ones and zeros into the input field and get. Wait, why didn't that work? I scroll further down the page and see a conversion chart. Ah, uh, that's right. And that's when I realize my mistake. I had assumed that the first beat in each series would be a one, but in fact, all of the keyboard characters shown in the chart start with a zero. So I quickly switch the ones for zeros and vice versa in each of the eight digit codes that I deciphered. I then paste them into the input field and click convert one at a time. Okay, Coin Master, let's see what you're so hot to tell me. And get. B E L I E V E Believe Believe? Why tell me that now? What have I been doing all week? Whoa. <clears throat> Antonia. Hi. Hey. I saw the news. Are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. Alright, I was until a minute ago, but I'm better now. What's going on? I was thinking a little more about the drone. Do you still have it? Yeah. It's in the garage. What about it? Well, I was looking more closely at some of ours. And I just want to know if... Or I guess I'm just curious about where it came from. I know the inventory tag had some information on it. Do you remember what it said? Hmm. I remember part of it, but not everything. Do you want me to go get it? Or I could send you a picture. Yeah, a picture would be fine. Next chance you get. Actually, I'll just do it now, while we're talking. Okay. Was yesterday bad? Uh, it wasn't that bad. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It was kind of all over the place, actually. Yeah. And the police? They just wanted information. According to them, I'm not in any kind of trouble. Okay, I'm in the garage. 
Hang on. I'm gonna put you on speaker so I can use the phone flashlight to see it better. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. So, if I remember right, the inventory tag was on the underside. I think it was a white sticker. Yeah, that's what I remember too. Where is it? It had a barcode on it. Right. But... What? It's not here. I mean, it's not on here anywhere now. I examined the rest of the drone, and it's definitely broken in all the same ways as the one that Antonia shot down. Hang on. I shine the flashlight directly onto the spot on the drone, where I'm sure the sticker was at. So, there's definitely some residue on here, though. It's like when you pull a sticker off of something. That's weird. Yeah. Has anyone else had the drone with them since you grabbed it? Yeah. I wonder why they'd want the sticker. Yeah. Me too. Hey, Antonia, can I call you back? I need to check a couple of things real quick. Sure. Everything okay? Yeah. Yeah, I just need to do a couple things. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't even ask how you're doing. That's okay. I'm fine. Okay. I'll call you back in just a bit. I'll be around. Okay. Bye. Bye. I've got that bad feeling again. The one I had when I asked for the background check on Salvador. And then when I found out about Kim's association with R.A. Hastings. I examined each of the jewelry boxes carefully in order of when I found them. I never questioned their authenticity. Each looks genuinely tattered and worn. And each was found under roots. Each, now that I think about it, except for the last one, in Cumberland. It was buried in sand and easier to get out of the ground. Hmm. I turned the Cumberland box over in my hands, looking on all sides and the lid for anything that might seem off. When I turn the box over to examine its base, I notice in one corner a small, faint rectangular area that's just barely different in color from the rest of it, as if something used to be there. I touch it, and it's very slightly sticky. Really? Now that I really look at the box, it does look old, like the others. But it looks like it could have been made to look old. Perhaps a lot older than it really is. I grab a screwdriver from a nearby drawer and use it to pry the sides and the base apart. I pull away the cloth that lines the sides and the base, but I don't see anything unusual. I cringe, knowing that I may be destroying something very special and sacred to my quest. But now, I can't help myself. So, the lid... I examine both sides of the lid, especially its underside, the side lined with cloth. 
I shine my phone's flashlight on it and notice that in one corner, the cloth is attached slightly differently than it is elsewhere. There's a tiny staple holding it in place. I get a pocket knife out of the same nearby drawer and slip the thin blade under the staple and pry it out. After I do, about a half inch of fabric hangs loosely. Hmm. I use the blade to cut open a slightly wider hole and shine the flashlight inside between the fabric and the inside of the lid. And then I see it. A small white RFID tag, like those used in retail stores to track items, attached to the inside of the lid behind the cloth. I tear the rest of the cloth off and see something else stamped to the inside of the lid. It reads, Ted's Treasure House, copyright 2019. Ted's Treasure House, the same store that Mel said she got the costumes from. I pull up the folder on my personal cloud storage that I downloaded all of the traffic cam footage into. I scan the video file names for their timestamps. I take a guess and open up a file that is chronologically later in the series. I watch it for several seconds. I see the lunchtime crowd moving in both directions on both sidewalks on either side of Westlake Avenue. And cars and trucks and buses making their way on the road. I see the tiny dot in the sky above the street, but the camera vantage is too far from the crosswalk. So I close it and try the next video file in the folder. Okay. This file is also about two minutes long. The camera is aimed right at the intersection from above and at an angle, probably atop a traffic signal pole. The details alternate between blurry and crisp, but it's similar to the other one. People moving on sidewalks, traffic coming and going. I spot the red headphones coming into the frame at about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Then I see myself in my costume, start to step into the crosswalk just as the car approaches. I see myself quickly leap out of the way, rolling on the pavement. I see the red headphones quickly jockey for position among the crowd, as if trying to get close to the scene, but not too close. I see the door of the Datsun 280Z open and then close, and then the car maneuvers around me and speeds away. I see people start to gather near the scene, taking out their cameras to capture the moment. I see myself in the crosswalk, reattaching the eyebrow and getting my bearings. I see a person run up to me from within the crowd, standing next to me and asking if I need help. I really hope I don't see what I think I'm going to see next. I stare out the window at Lake Washington beyond my beach. Boats of all sizes and varieties are starting to gather and drop anchor in the small bay outside Husky Stadium to Sailgate for the football game that starts later this afternoon. 
I go back 15 seconds in the video so I can see where in the crowd the person who offered me help came from. They have a blue jacket on, so they're easy to track. They start on the sidewalk, on the right edge of the frame. There. I pause the video and zoom in on the frame. It's grainy and heavily pixelated, but I can see the person in the blue jacket is standing next to a woman whose fashion sense looks eerily familiar. I advance the video slowly, frame by frame. The woman extends her arm to the person in the blue jacket. She's handing it to him. And he does the same to her. The person in the blue jacket then runs to my aid. Several seconds later, he goes to find my glasses at my request. It would be easy to miss because it happens so fast. But because I know what I'm looking for, I see a small white object replace the glasses on the pavement right at the moment he picks up the glasses to bring them to me. I replay in my head my conversations with Mel in the immediate aftermath of me fleeing the crosswalk and hiding in the bathroom at Roasted. I saw what happened. Are you alright? I saw what happened. Mel, can you come to me? Help me get back to the office, quietly. I'm already on my way. Yeah. If you were near me the whole time. Maybe if I get back to work unnoticed, this all goes away. I mean, nobody knows I'm here, right? I'll be there in five minutes. She didn't answer the question. So now what am I supposed to believe? Is this all a joke? Is any of this for real? What are you up to, Mel? Oh, now, don't you start. I didn't even switch you on. Ah! Time to tear this stupid detector open and find out what's really going on. Well, it looks to me like you're trying to hide. Yeah, my mom always said, don't trust anybody. Maybe they'd want to know where you're hiding out tonight. To Thank you for returning my license, Joseph. That ding-dang detector told you. But she was married, you know. Stop being a little prick. Do you have your doubts? All right, kids. Say goodbye to Uncle Joseph. I'll handle it. Whoa, 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 Dad. Just say how sorry we are to hear about your parents. Why is she talking about you having a mustache? Do you want to take a walk?
Dirt, an audio drama, is a production of Studio 5705 and is written, directed, and produced by me, Chris Cayella. This chapter features the voice talents of Tony Ferreira as Detective Hawkins, Brittany Carroll as Detective Peterson, Cassie McCluskey as the girl at the restaurant counter, AJ Riley as the caller from the tire shop, and Megan Morales as Antonia. I play the part of Joseph. You've reached the end of season two. A special thank you to so many people who make this podcast possible, especially Sarah Cayella, Ken Cayella, Carrie Cayella, Patricia Lewandowski, Gordon Lewandowski, Stephen Matera, Mark Field, all the cast members, Reggie the dog, and Hank the cat and Buggy the cat, who kept me company in the studio for most of the production. Stay tuned for season three of Dirt, an audio drama, coming your way sometime in 2022. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter for all the latest updates, as well as news about new bonus content. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thank you very much for listening. Dirt, an audio drama, is a production of Studio 5705. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Are you emotionally exhausted? Do you have strong feelings about authoritarian power structures? Have you ever stared up at the night sky and felt tiny and alone? If so, ask your doctor about Wolf 359, the award-winning sci-fi audio fiction podcast by Kinda Evil Genius Productions. Side effects may include strange genetic experiments, unreliable AI systems, the potential discovery of alien life, and toothpaste. Find Wolf 359 wherever you listen to podcasts and visit wolf359.fm to learn more.